Welcome, welcome. Episode 58 of the Phoenix Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. I keep trying to call it the BS of the Suns podcast and nobody is getting behind me on that so far. So we're just the Phoenix Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. It is Chris Habis, as always. We're going to three-man weave it with Jim Kokenauer and Dave King. This is different than Brightside After Dark. We're not drinking. Um, I can vouch for myself. We're three guys in three different areas. But it's been a fun day in the NBA. We got P.J. Harrison punching a high school kid. We got Dan Gilbert on a plane or not on a plane. You know, a bunch of rumors flying around, reporters saying their gut feelings. Some reporters actually talking about sources. So the NBA is fun this time of year. And... I don't know about you guys, but it's it's kind of exploding here Sunday night as we're recording this. So we figured this is a perfect time to rep- record a podcast and get it out there to you folks. So first and foremost, Jim, uh, start off with you and then we'll slide over to Dave. How are you guys doing here tonight? I am outstanding. How are you tonight, Dave? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I've been sitting around in my house. I, I hurt my back a little bit this weekend, so I've been sitting around and watching Twitter off and on all day and just having a lot of fun watching just people go nuts over nothing. Yeah, sources told me that How to Train Your Dragon 2 was terrific. Um, It's the best uh, non-Disney or Pixar movie I've seen in a while, so I can confirm that as well. Uh, So go out there and see that if you got kids. That's my endorsement for DreamWorks. Go ahead and send the check in the mail. I'll give you my address uh, via Twitter, DM, or email. You let me know. But Dave, let's uh, let's go ahead and get the ball rolling on the on these rumors. So it sounds like you know more about this, and apparently we just need to attach Lojack to the ankles of every free agent right now, right? Is that more or less where we're at? Actually, not even just the free agents. You got to attach Lojacks to the owners and the front office people and every everybody else who's, who's involved in the basketball teams because it doesn't matter if uh, you're you're just having fun and do, going off and doing your own thing. If you're in a particular city or you're playing this your plane is flying to a particular city, you're there to go get a free agent. So uh, the first thing I <laughs> that went around today was our Cavs fans actually, uh, they had, I don't know how they figured out what um, call sign or plane number or whatever um, Dan Gilbert's plane is, the owner of the Cavs, but they've been tracking it for the past week, and they tracked it down to, they found it that it flew to New Jersey to sign Kyrie Irving or to get it verbal agreement from Kyrie Irving on, on July 1st for his max extension, then flew to Indianapolis, whereas I guess that's where they met with Gordon Hayward. And now today it flew down to Florida, where apparently LeBron is. So everyone's thinking, oh, he's flying to go sign LeBron. And then uh, later on, uh, Gilbert either tweets or he uh, tells a reporter or something, nope, I'm in my backyard barbecue. So uh, who the heck knows what's going on? But you've got fans who are actually tracking planes, trying to figure out what's going on with their team. And then you've got the assistant athletic director of the um, UCLA Bruins, um, where Kevin Love went to college, who tweets out today, by the way, Carmelo, Kobe, and Love all worked out today and played pickup together. Right after that, all the national guys start going after their sources, trying to figure out, did this really happen? Did this really happen? And within 10 minutes, or maybe 15 minutes, Amick and Woj and all these guys tweeted, well, no, uh, Kobe worked out today, but Melo has not been seen there since last week, and Kevin Love hasn't been there in days. So either the assistant athletic director was lying, or other people were lying to the reporters, who the heck knows? It's just hilarious. It was a dude that kind of looked like Kevin Love, um, and then Kobe was playing, and they really liked Carmelo. I don't know. I mean, these these rumors are just, they're, they're comical. And sources tell me, uh, sources in my gut, that Russell Westbrook and Tyler Honeycutt and the rest of the UCLA uh, NBA player family were all jealous if, if Kevin Love's down there playing at UCLA with uh, the two megastars, Kobe Bryant and Carmelo Anthony. You know, it, it, whatever. It is what it is with all of this stuff. Jim, what, what's your kind of impression and take on, on Dave's rundown of the NBA happenings here today? Well, LeBron James would make it a lot easier for everybody if he just makes some of his intentions clear. And apparently he just wants to kind of ride into free agency, kind of perambulate in there slowly and let everything, all the circus kind of surround that. And I guess that's his right, and I don't think this is comparable to the decision, but obviously he had to know this was coming for a long time. And on the one hand, there's nothing coming from his camp, so 
I guess it's not a situation to where he's purposefully doing this, but at the same time, he has to know that he's controlling the entire league. He's controlling the media. He's controlling all of this. And I still haven't seen any leaks in terms of when he's actually thinking about looking at meeting with teams and making a decision. And when all the dominoes fall after him, it's all circumspect up to this point. I still think that Miami and Cleveland have a better chance than anybody else on the periphery, but you have no idea what LeBron James is actually thinking in terms of what his actually best situation and his legacy is with so much stuff in the air. It's it's a holding pattern, and and until you have any idea what he's doing, it's just a holding pattern, and we're all just guessing. I'm going to subtly disagree with one thing you said there, and it may not be disagreeing, it's just me saying something, but I don't think LeBron James has the NBA in a holding pattern, and people have been saying that, like, oh, he's got the NBA in a holding pattern, and you know he deserves it because he's the best player in the world. I think that the NBA media and the NBA is putting him in a position to look like he has him in a holding pattern. He's a guy that just finished an NBA season, went to the finals, lost, and happens to have free agency stuff going on around him and might not be caring about any of this stuff. He might not be following any reports. He might not be trolling anybody. He may not have any intents of holding the NBA in a holding pattern. He might just be a guy hanging out with his family that's trying to figure out the best decision for basketball and family and getting everything organized. So like when people say that about him and Carmelo, I just I don't get that vibe from them at least. It's that's just me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on here, Chris. Are you saying that LeBron James is a human being? Um, sources close to the situation showed him holding a gigantic tire and walking down the street looking like uh, you know, the Hulk. So maybe not. I don't know if he's a human being, but I think he might feel like one. But I think you were trying to suggest that he's a human <laughs> being who actually uh, plays basketball, but otherwise is just a regular person and wanted a little time off after he got really disappointed by not winning the uh, NBA Finals. Yeah, I, that's my take. I think you're take. probably um, on to something here. I think we need to ask Chris Broussard if his sources say that LeBron has uh, family and uh, personal life that he may not give a fuck what anybody is doing for the past week. Um, but actually, what I think is probably happening is probably LeBron is looking at the Miami Heat. He's looking at Dwayne Wade. He's playing like he's 92 years old, and he's about to retire. And he's saying, you know what? All I got in Miami is me. I got Chris Bosh, who wilted in the finals, and I've got Dwayne Wade, who wilted two years ago. And that's it. That's all I've got in Miami. And if I want my max... And if Bosch wants his max and Dwayne, Dwayne Wade wants anything more than the mid-level, there's no money left to sign anybody of substance to replace Dwayne Wade as the number three on the team. And so LeBron has to be sitting there thinking, you know what, I'll give Pat Riley a chance. I'll let him try to find somebody who can play for me, play at, you know near my level, or at least you know, contribute a little bit more than uh, Richard Lewis did this past year and Greg Oden and Michael Beasley and actually contribute to the next championship I want to win. Or maybe I should look around the rest of the league and see if there's a better situation for me. Why should LeBron stay in the Miami situation if, if because of their contract demands, they can't get any better and they're only going to get worse? I think he basically needs to uh, be looking around. Yeah, and and what's wrong with that? I mean, when you have the... This is not the 90s anymore, guys. And as much as I appreciated the 80s and the 90s and the year, the decades before that, it's not that situation where guys play for 15 to 20 years on their given team, or I guess less because team uh, play, people had shorter uh, careers back then. But it's not like that anymore where you retire with the one team you're on. It's you're maximizing your best situation and opportunity trying to win championships and and guys bounce around guys Kendall Marshall wasn't even on the Phoenix Suns going into what his third year of his NBA contract his rookie scale contract like he was gone right after that you know people are people are losing faith in players quickly and they're leaving and players are losing faith in teams quickly and they're leaving themselves so it's just a different era and folks move around so I'm not upset that Carmelo is flirting with teams and Chris Bosh is considering leaving and LeBron's considering leaving and all that. It's it is what it is and you got to go find the best situation for your family and for you as a basketball player. So let's let's kind of play around with that. And Jim, I'm curious to hear your take on this because everyone in the world that is on Brightside, I should say everyone on Brightside are huge Suns fans obviously. You know, they probably shouldn't be on there if they're not. 
but everybody is under this this uh, myth that LeBron's going to come here and another superstar free agent's going to come here and it's going to create a super team here with this cast. But what happens if LeBron says, I'm going to Cleveland? Bosch then goes, well, I'm not you know, going to stay here. I'm going to go to Houston. Dwayne Wade's like, well, what's better, retirement, Miami beaches, or going back home to Chicago and playing with the Bulls? Those guys all split up. What, what happens after that? What are the residual effects for the Phoenix Suns, in your opinion, when you start looking at if the big three break up and no one comes to Phoenix? Well, maybe I'm refuting what Dave said to a certain extent because I, I think it seems rather obtuse to think that LeBron doesn't have the sway and that he doesn't know that he has the sway. And it might not be that he wants to control that, but he does. No matter what you're talking about, there are so many teams that are doing the dance and waiting for LeBron to make his decision. And it's not LeBron's fault. Well, well hold on, Jim. I, I don't want saying... to cut you off mid-take, but is, that's like getting mad at a pretty girl for being pretty and five guys liking her and then her having to sit back and go, well, I don't know which one of you guys I like, though, because you guys are all coming after me. That's at, that's where I think that we, we unfairly judge LeBron, but that's just me. He's, he's the pretty girl, and these are the teams that I'm all not, want him. I'm not judging LeBron that way. I'm not saying that it's his fault. LeBron is... He's a beautiful girl, and, and <laughs> I'd be like the Suns. I, I have no – I'm dauntless. I, I'm going to go up there and ask him to dance. I, I'm not scared. I'm going to have no trepidation in doing that. But, yeah, but all LeBron is doing, is, though, Jim, Jim, all LeBron is doing, though, is saying, hey, look, I got these five – I'm a pretty girl, and I got these five guys or 30 guys who all want to dance with me. Let me take a few minutes and figure out which the best one is for me. Maybe I don't want to go with the same one I danced with last time. Maybe I want to go with somebody new. But i got to think about this a little bit. But I don't, I don't know if I came across the wrong way because I, I, I think that's his entitlement. I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying that this is the way that the landscape is. I, I don't have a problem with the way the landscape is. This is just the way the landscape is. I agree. Okay. And once... LeBron does decide, like I think Chris was ever mentioning, then that opens up new avenues. And even even in advance of him making his announcement, there are going to be teams making inroads. And like Chris just mentioned, Chris Bosh is one of those very interesting inroads. And the way the NBA salary cap is going to be moving forward, there are going to be huge advancements. I know, Dave, you had tweeted about and mentioned a lot of these things and knew how things were going to be looking moving forward towards an $80 million salary cap, potentially. And the max is going to look a lot different. So bringing in a player like Chris Bosh, bringing in another player, bringing in a Gordon Hayward, bringing in a Luol Deng, bringing in any of these guys, today's salary cap, the way the Suns are sitting, the way they have Goran Dragic sitting and bringing Eric Bledsoe in, it's a very interesting time. But even with all that being into play, wherever LeBron lands, I, I, I still am not bought into giving Le, uh, giving Bosch a max for the Sun. Yeah, and I, um, you I, know, I, I would, I would, I would probably go with a short contract on a max for him. But you're right; there's no way I would do a four year um, unless there's some kind of team out because he is going to start going on the backside backslide in, in his performance. Uh, he may have already started, and we just uh, may not have fully recognized that yet. Yeah, and I like how, I, as much as people you know, are going to begrudgingly roll their eyes as I say this, but the, Bill Simmons made a great point on the salary cap years ago. This is a while ago that he had said, that in the NBA, the salary cap should look like a movie budget. It should be like Tom Cruise is going to get paid X amount of dollars because he's Tom Cruise. He's going to draw the box office. And then everyone else falls in line with our salary cap here at Paramount as we're getting ready to make this you know, sci-fi action thriller because that's all Tom Cruise makes anymore. But that with that example there, that I mean, the NBA could really benefit from that where, hey, we're going to sign LeBron to you can sign him to whatever that you know what you want to sign him for. You want to sign him for a, you know, $40 million a year. That's your at your discretion there, Robert Sarver. But then you have, you know, forty million as a salary cap for your team, or fifty or eighty, whatever it's gonna end up being. So that would be a unique situation. And the Phoenix Suns have done a good job with handling their salary cap. So to twist this over to a Phoenix Suns perspective, if LeBron, Bosch, and Mello and Wade for for I mean, just throwing him in there into the mix, if those guys are all off the table in free agency, I mean, who is it that the Suns go after? You have you have Eric Bledsoe's rights basically, so he's essentially here unless we don't want him. 
but who else can you or would you go after in free agency if you're the Phoenix Suns with that extra cap space? Or you just kind of sit on your hands and go, well, this team was good enough to win 48 games last year, and they, you know, they're going to get a touch better with the way we've been tweaking things. You know, I think that's a really good question. And uh, one of the uh, draws on signing a Chris Bosch is that he's unrestricted. The problem with doing an offer sheet for, or signing one of the other younger guys is they're all they all have to be offer sheets, and they all are contingent on the other team letting that player go. So as much as I think Gordon Hayward is a perfect fit for the Suns' offense, and the same is true of uh, Chandler Parsons, uh, I don't think either of them is going unless uh, the Suns finagle something uh, to get them out of their teams, either through a trade or they do this awesome timing in which they say, for example, um, well, Utah's not going to, Utah's just going to match on Hayward. I think Hayward's a lost cause. Uh, but Parsons, what if the Suns suddenly did an about face and figured out how to get Chandler Parsons to sign a big offer sheet while Houston needs the money to get Chris Bosch in? You know, so I think there's, there's a little tweak there that maybe you could get a Chandler Parsons wiggle free, but then 20 other teams are going to think the same thing. It's just a matter of who gets there first and who has the most convincing pitch. But he might suddenly be an available guy that um, that wasn't available before. However, um, it's all about the timing, and it's all about if you can get him signed to the offer sheet um, and the three days passes before Houston's already spent their little money, and then they can just go over the cap and keep Parsons. So I'm not even sure that's going to work out. But that's the kind of thing the Suns have to do. Because otherwise, all the uh, the best unrestricted free agents, I mean, you're looking at basically Luol Deng as your best available, besides Chris Bosch, unrestricted, uncommitted free agent who is under 30. Uh, well, no, Luol Deng's even 30 years old. So, I mean, you really, you really don't have a great pool of guys that aren't tethered to another team at this point. So, yeah, it's got to be some finagling of, of, um, of offer sheets. And Zach Lowe brought up a great point. I think it was a week ago on a podcast with Brian Windhorse he had as his guest. But go and listen to that one real quick after you finish up this one to get the full story and a more eloquent explanation of what I'm about to say. But with the restricted free agency thing, as you mentioned there, Brooke Lopez, if you recall back with the Dwight Howard saga, we have one of these every year. So we have sagas that it continues on like Twilight and it's just nauseating like Twilight, it feels like almost. But with him, he basically, Arn Tellum, his agent, said, hey, Brooklyn, we're going to go sign an offer sheet and we're going to screw up all your plans unless you give Brook Lopez money now. We're sick of this Dwight Howard thing, so we're going to hijack your free agency and you're going to choose to get rid of us or we're going to go sign an offer sheet and you're going to have to match it and we're going to screw you over regardless. So I'm wondering if something like that might happen with someone like Chandler Parsons with the Houston. We talked about this a little bit on Twitter. There's an under-the-table handshake deal with Chandler Parsons. Hey, you brought over Dwight Howard. We go ahead and we're going we're gonna to get rid of you to bring you back. So just sit tight, hang tight. We're going to sign a free agent, then we're going to bring you back and go over the cap because we can because we have your bird rights. But if Chandler Parsons' agent you know, gets wind of that kind of a scenario and goes, you know what, we're going to go ahead and sign an offer sheet with Phoenix and force your hand. Either you're going to sign us and we're going to be there with you or you know, you're just going to have to let us go. I'm curious if that ends up being something that the Phoenix Suns kind of flirt with and maybe find a guy that's willing to do that and kind of screw over his other team that's trying to get one of these you know, big-time superstars before they sign. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally on the same page with Dave. It just makes complete sense that Chandler Parsons, unless Houston gets a better arrangement where they can move up for talent like they're going to, then Parsons is going to stay there. Utah has a ton of money under the cap, so there would be no reason for them to let Hayward walk away unless they're compensated from that aspect. That might actually be somewhat enticing to the Suns if something's going to happen there. Luol Dang, he's right around 30 right there. You don't want to get him to an extended contract that's going to reach into 31, 32, 33. He might be a good fit for the Suns, but it'd be potentially surrounding the right type of money. So all, all of that stuff is very nebulous for the Suns moving into it. There's a lot of question marks and not not tons of potential with uh, some of those restricted restricted free agents moving forward. So yeah, I think uh, well, let's let's pull this a little bit more local for folks listening to this. And Dave, you can finish your point there. Sorry to cut you off, but to switch this to a local focus, Dave, finish your point. But then, what is what is the need of the Phoenix Suns? Channing Fry obviously opts out, and he's going to look at the market there. He's another pretty girl that has some suitors, and the Suns are still one of them, but. 
outside of you know bringing back Channing Fry, what are the glaring holes? What are the Suns going to need to do in free agency? What what are basically the positions of need for this team? Well, see, that's a really interesting point. See, and what I really what I was about to say uh, was along those lines. <clears throat> excuse me, would have probably roundabout answered your question, so I'll just be a little bit more direct. Um, this summer, because the Suns won 48 games, and with what appears to anyone in Phoenix, or at least uh, certainly to me, it's a repeatable process. I think Jeff Hornacek has a winning um, mix of, of in his coaching staff of getting the most out of his players. They still have a hungry young group of guys. They're adding to it. They added just two first-round picks this year who, who I think could fit in really well. Um, if you can't get that top-end free agent who uh, will or new player like a Kevin Love via trade who is better than anybody else on the roster, then you don't go spending your free agent money just churning over. You don't bring in, in my opinion, you don't bring in a, um, um, uh, Lance Stevenson. You don't bring in Luol Deng. You don't bring in... Ed Davis or Trevor Ariza, because uh, those guys are just market price retreads when really uh, just go with your rookie-scale contract guys for another year, re-sign Channing Frye and P.J. Tucker and uh, Eric Bledsoe, and then really if you have not brought in a big-name free agent this year, you are going to have money next year uh, to spend on a big-name guy next year. So when Kevin Love is free agent next year, you go after him then. Um, Brian Windhorst, in, in the most condescending possible way he could have, I don't know if he took a condescending pill early uh, before he went on the radio last Monday, but man, that guy was patting the Suns on the, on the head as he was explaining how they're just not ready to compete for a big-name free agent like LeBron. And then he says, because Miami's roster is so much more ready to win now than, Sun, than the Suns are, and, and of course Miami only has Norris Cole on their entire roster, so I'm not really sure where he was coming from there. But basically, that is a, that's, a, that's a take that uh, most people from the outside take on the Suns, is that they're not quite ready to be the big players. There's been a couple of references uh, to the Suns being the Clippers of 2010, where the Clippers had that LeBron meeting in 2010, and they, they didn't win LeBron or anything like that, but suddenly they became relevant, and the very next year, Chris Paul was acquired and committed to his extra year and all that and stayed, and now the Clippers are really relevant, but it took the coming out party where you don't actually get picked, you know, you don't get handed the final rose at the end of The Bachelor, but you're in the final two or three, and then all of a sudden you get your own show, The Bachelorette, the next year, and you're suddenly at the top of the game. So this is where I think if the Suns can't get can't finish and get that final rose this year, they need to wait till next year to go get that rose. And Jim, so where are you looking at with this roster? I feel like they filled a need with TJ Warren as a you know perimeter wing scorer, and then they end up taking a step back with Channing Fry at that four position that just keeps finding a way to fall apart for the Suns post Amari Stoudemire. What are you looking at in free agency? Do you, do you spend the money now if you don't get a big name, and what kind of positional needs are you looking at? I agree with Dave that uh, Winhorse deserves every bit of my reproach mingled with contempt. He has no idea on the situation with the team and around the NBA if he's spouting off like that. But the Suns are faced with a dilemma in terms of having the ability to improve now, and if the options shrink, then they're faced with the inevitability of going in the next season with a roster very similar to this year. And players could improve, but players last year improved across the board at career levels. So even if it's sustainable, like Dave mentioned, and I think it is, the team could be even better than last year, they're not closer to where the goal eventually needs to be. So the contractual status of some of the moves this summer might put them in a situation where they don't quite have the same flexibility next summer in terms of cap holds with players. I don't know offhand how it would work with Goran Dragic and what he'd be obviously... uh... Hello? 
So the three-man weave, Jim dropped the ball, so we kicked him in the butt and sent him out of the gym there. Um, lost him. I don't know what happened there, but uh, we're going to go ahead and just proceed on. We're troopers. We're professional, Dave, and we're going to keep moving along here. I was kind of thinking while Jim was talking there and while you were talking, it's almost like with, when you're talking about wind horse, you swing and you miss on LeBron and potentially maybe like Bosch and those guys that you're going after. So let's say you swing and miss on those guys, and... Then do you just settle for an Ariza and a Jordan Hill or what? I, I don't think you do. I think you guys are right on that. Next year's a little different. Like if you swing and miss on a Kevin Love, let's say he's available, well, then you can end up just going, well, we'll settle for like a Paul Millsap, which I think would be a drastic upgrade to the four. And you start looking at 2015 and piecing together your options and what you might be able to do and your own free agency mess and stuff like that. And I think that that's the right take. I think that's the right approach is you don't go and settle for, you know, just kind of moving your food around the table to make it look like you've eaten something. You, you haven't improved. You haven't eaten anything. It still looks the same. You just spread it all around. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we definitely don't want to repeat the Suns summer of 2010, which is basically they, they missed out on keeping Amari Stoudemire and ended up spending all their money. Little chunk here, little chunk there, little chunk here, there, everywhere, and it was awful. So, no, if the Suns miss out on the big, big name free agents, then the Suns need to wait until 2015. Was that the summer of Sarver where he signed Hakeem Warwick and Turkoglu and we put together a roster of misfit toys? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. That's the summer. See, that's the only just, and I don't want to go on a Robert Sarver tangent, but I've, I've mentioned a few times on different little radio things or talking to people where everyone's like, why does everybody hate Robert Sarver? No one wants to play with Robert Sarver. Robert Sarver sucks this and that. Here's the thing with Robert Sarver. A lot of his stuff, revisionist history in 10 years is going to look back and go, Mike D'Antoni was a God awful player personnel manager. And he's more or less most of the reason why a lot of those decisions and bad moves happened with the Phoenix Suns during their era of being a championship contender. And Robert Sarver made a couple of mistakes here and there, and 2010 was a huge black eye. And after that, I don't have a lot of complaints about Robert Sarver. I've interacted with him. I've seen him do business. I actually I kind of like him as an owner overall, but I think he gets a lot of the flack for D'Antoni decisions, and that ends up giving him kind of a huge black eye on the, on the league. No, definitely. I think it was all a very uh, complicit thing where he was getting input from people who um, – you know, weren't giving him the best input, and then he didn't know how to actually process it because he's not an NBA personnel guy. Yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely I think he's always spent money. He's just spent it the wrong ways. There's a couple of places where he uh, pinched his pennies, and he shouldn't have in hindsight, but at the time it seemed like a smart decision. And he, I think he's learned from that. So we'll see. We'll see the next time the Suns are approaching the luxury tax territory and just need another piece or two. Like this summer, the Clippers, uh, they went out, they, they're almost at the hard cap, and yet they've still spent their um, major league equivalent on Spencer Hawes. I don't, I don't know if that was a great signing, but at least spent the money. And then they just uh, today spent their biennial exception on Jordan Farmer. Again, I don't know if that was the right way to spend their money, but they spent it. And so we'll see if uh, in a couple of years, Robert Sarver is willing to go into that luxury tax and go up to that hard cap and stuff. But in the meantime, I think we can just say he wants to spend money and he's he's doing the best he can to spend it. He just needs the right people telling him how. I don't know if anyone listening to this had the same thought as me, but literally my only thought when you were talking about the Clippers buying and spending on free agency is who the heck is spending money? I have no idea who is actually paying these free agents, who's signing these checks and who's signing these contracts over there. Um, all right, let's, so let's let's switch gears over to to the summer league, um, and let's talk about that a little bit. That's going to be going down here in a couple of days. This is posting on Monday, so summer league starts on Friday, the eleventh. The Suns release a roster that is attempting to go out, and the 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 Suns are the San Antonio Spurs of summer league. When you consider last year to this year, they're on a redemption plan and mission. They they got uh, I don't know who plays the role of Tim Duncan. Maybe it's Archie Goodwin, but somebody's on a redemption mission there. This team wants to go back. They feel like they deserve to win that championship, and they fell just short there in the championship game against Golden State. What are your thoughts here on this on this summer league roster? We can't read too much into it, but I notice that it feels like there's a few specific areas that they're addressing to maybe audition for the team here this year. Oh, definitely. I think, uh, well, we're not going to have the Morris brothers this year, so that's going to be different from last year. So And P.J. Tucker, yeah, and P.J. Tucker is most likely not going to play for him this year, although if he does get his contract signed, he uh, might show up just to be there and say hi to the guys. But um, but really, so it's going to be a totally different roster this year in that way. Archie Goodwin is still going to be there, and I think actually Archie Goodwin is going to have a breakout um, summer. 
Um, I do think the Suns are going to be are stacked. Uh, they certainly have a lot of talented players going there. They're almost all under contract, which is very rare for a summer league team. Um, so I think uh, the Suns are going to have a really good time, and I think I'm going to have a really good time. I'll be there the second week. Our our new guy Kellen uh, is going to be there the first weekend, and I'll be there the second weekend. And we're going to cover the Suns all the way through summer league. It's going to be really really fun. Um, to see these young guys play and get to talk to them in, in a somewhat informal setting, uh, maybe hook up with McDonough and Hornacek and the other assistant coaches as well, and, and really just get a good feel for how these guys are. Last year they um, got all their success through their hunger and their willingness to do whatever it took to win. This year I'm hoping they have that same attitude. Certainly these young guys will. And uh, so it's, I, am, I am really looking forward to it. The biggest name that pops out on there for me, and other names are going to pop out for other people, and that's fine. Um, but Miles Plumley went out there and was Tim Duncan for two games, was uh, an, an exceptional starting center for about a quarter to half of the season, and then pretty much he he, he tapered off there. He kind of hit a plateau, and he was good. He was serviceable, but he wasn't what he was doing at the beginning of the season. It felt like he kind of hit that rookie wall as a sophomore, getting all these minutes. And I like the fact that he's on the summer league roster to continue building some um, some comfortability there with the players, with the coaching staff, develop his skills. He was the name that jumped off out there on me. He doesn't have to go. He's under contract. He played well enough last year. He's the team's starting center for Pete's sake, and they won 48 games. Um, this would be an opportunity for, like, you know, throw out Alex Len to start and have Alex Brown or Alec Brown uh, there as a backup to see what he can do. And Miles Plumley didn't even have to show up. Who who was the name, if it wasn't Miles, that kind of jumped off on there for you, that it was like, I like this, this is interesting with the, the roster that they put together? Well, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the attitude, the playing style is of uh, the two first-round picks, Tyler Ennis and T.J. Warren. I'm really curious to see how they're going to fit. They are different uh, in terms of skill set from last year's team and I think uh, the Suns drafted them because they were a little bit different and they might be able to uh, provide what the Suns were lacking last year in certain ways um, or at least in the in the next year or two if not this coming year but the name that really really jumped out at me uh, and and probably jumped out to a lot of people is Alex Land. This will be his first summer of being fairly healthy. I think I don't know exactly how 100% healthy he is Having uh, ankle issues is going to affect your vertical and your nimbleness and your moving your feet laterally and all that. So I'm not sure if he's 100% healthy yet, but he's certainly been lifting. Um, he posted a picture on Instagram that people uh, put on right side that uh, shows that he, he looks a lot buffer than I remember seeing him, and I saw him most every day this past year. So I think uh, uh, he'll be interesting, but he might be uh, finding that Summer League is a little bit um, over his uh, comfort level right now, and next year's summer league, he'll be a dominant guy. But I am curious to see if he suddenly comes out and, and becomes a double double guy in summer league this summer, and see if uh, if he's got that aggression that he needs. I like that you mentioned the rookies being different, and how you bring in Tyler Ennis and T.J. Warren, who are pace oriented players, who are very talented, very skilled, and very effective at moving at their own pace, and you look at the Phoenix Suns last year, and every single piece about them was go, 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 and that's how they were effective outside of like maybe Channing Fry or P.J. Tucker, guys that are maybe a little bit more pace-oriented. But those two guys are extremely pace-oriented, and they'll be able to kind of change things up. They're like the curveball for the Suns off the bench, if you want to think of it that way, where they might come in in a roster you know, shift in the second quarter, end of the first quarter, and all of a sudden the defense is just not ready for guys that are just going to move you in different ways than the ways that Gorin was and PJ was and Gerald Green, depending on if he's starting or not. It's, it's very unique how they bring those guys in, and they're very pace-oriented. I look at this and I see Seth Curry, Deontay Christmas, Taylor Braun, and I see a duel, or at least you know three guys that are going out there, and they're gonna whoever shoots the best might have that designated shooter role on this team. Deontay did a great job coming off the bench with energy, defense, and shooting last year in pinches. And the other two guys, Seth and Taylor, more or less are the same player. They're less athletic than Deontay. But what did you what do you think about those guys basically just duking it out for that tenth, eleventh, twelfth spot on the roster as a designated shooter? Well, I tell you what, um, I've, I've got a, uh, a warm spot, a uh, soft spot in my heart for Deontay Christmas. That guy never expected to play a minute last year. He was happy when he did play. Otherwise, he just wanted to be part of a team. He was awesome in the locker room. I also hope for that same reason a guy like Ish Smith is back. 
if you're bringing in too many quiet guys who are not rah-rah guys, your entire locker room becomes quiet and uh, distant and disconnected. And I think guys like Deontay Christmas and Ish Smith really, and P.J. Tucker, really made that locker room glue last year uh, because there weren't the guys who felt better than the room at all. Um, and But they needed the rah-rah guys to, to get their energy up, and I think those three really provided it. So among the three that you mentioned to me, I'm just really hoping Deontay Christmas earns his way back onto the roster. Definitely, yeah. And, and I got a question for you. So I threw this out there on draft night, and I got a lot of responses, and all of a sudden everybody kind of used logic, and they said that they kind of get where I'm coming from when I said, how much better is Shabazz Napier in the NBA as his career going to be over a Norris Cole slash Mario Chalmers? Like I don't, I don't necessarily know he's going to have a better career, be a better player, or a better fit on Miami. So to ask that question to you about the Phoenix Suns, is Tyler Ennis, he, he may be more talented potentially than Ish Smith, but he is he an upgrade? How much more of an upgrade would he be over an Ish Smith when you consider the style of play and what Ish did for this team last year? Well, um, you know, that's a really good question. I think Ish definitely was a guy who helped uh, uh, give the Suns an identity last year. Uh, definitely when he came in in the second and third units, um, he brought speed, he brought um, uh, feistiness, he also brought an inability to make a jump shot, he, he brought an inability to score at the rim, um, and he had some really exciting passes, but once teams figured out that he couldn't shoot, it was harder for him to make his passes because they were laying back off of him. So I think Ish um, is Ish, and I think he's great. I wish he was our 15th guy our fourth point guard, and I really hope he can turn out to be that way. There's no reason the Suns can't have four point guards, four point guards next year uh, because Dragic is going to be, again, playing year-round uh, like the Suns were hoping he wouldn't do with Slovenia, but then again, they respect him for it. And uh, Bledsoe being the, uh, the on-again, off-again injury kind of guy, you never know when he's going to miss a few games. The Suns are going to need four point guards. Um, having said that, you asked me the question, who's better? And I don't really know if Tyler Ennis is better. I think Ish is better than Kendall Marshall. And Tyler Ennis has a little bit of that Kendall Marshall profile. But Ennis can make a jump shot. And if Ennis, makes, and Ennis made some big jump shots as a freshman for Syracuse. So I think if uh, Ennis comes in here and plays like we all wished Kendall Marshall would have played, then he's definitely going to beat out Ish Smith. But I really hope Ish is still on the roster and in the locker room and playing occasionally. I'm going to take it a step further and say that it's almost mandatory with the way the Phoenix Suns' style of play is and the way that they organize things with the two-point guard lineup. It's almost mandatory that you have to have four-point guards on this roster, and you want to have at least one of them off the bench being a change-of-pace differentiator than your starters, and you want one to kind of replicate some of the stuff they do. So, like, Ish is ability to have havoc in the full court and create turnovers and make passes and be athletic granted he can't shoot and like you said he struggled at the rim at least being able to do those two things replicates a little bit of what maybe a Goran or an Eric does on a very minute small level and it gives them you know two point guards off the bench where if one gets injured then you can slide potentially one into the starting lineup or to keep your rotation intact and things like that so I almost think it's almost mandatory to have four whether it's Ish and Tyler or the two guys you need to have or if it's Tyler Ennis and somebody else, because you know Ennis is getting a guaranteed contract, and well, you might spend some time in the D League, but he'll be more or less on this team. He's part of this team because of where he was selected. Yeah, no, definitely. And it never once occurred to me, uh, and even when I thought about it, it didn't make any sense that um, when when the Suns drafted Ennis, that that meant that either Goran Dragic or Eric Bledsoe was gone. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Tyler Ennis is not going to be ready for a full-time starting position for a playoff-caliber team. If you want the Suns to be a playoff-caliber team, Tyler Ennis is at best a third point guard for a year or two, and that's perfectly okay. You guys going to make a, about a buck and a half, um, you know, a million, million a year, and that's great for a third point guard. That's awesome for a third point guard. So, don't expect more from Ennis. Don't expect less from Ennis. Um, he definitely should earn that third point guard and be a guy that, where you go, I guess it doesn't matter if Bledsoe's out. I guess it doesn't matter if Dragic is out. We've got a guy who can fit in for a few games or 20 games or 30 games. Last year when um, Bledsoe went out, we had to sign Barbosa off the street. 
you really don't want to have to sign Leander Barbosa off the street. Yeah, he was great as a, you know, he's got a great smile and all that, but he really wasn't that effective last year. He certainly was injured. Um, if you could have had a Tyler Ennis in there with Anish Smith rotating in and out with Goran Dragic, the Suns would might have won their 50-52 games and made the playoffs even last year. So definitely um, Ennis is not a replacement for either of those two guys, at least for the next couple of years. Um, and it's nice to have that in your back pocket when it is time to have to replace somebody. So basically, Stephon Marbury, Casey Jacobson, you former Suns guards. Um, you know, let's let's play that Patino game that Amin El Hassan likes to do a lot on uh, on Twitter. There, maybe one of those guys might end up having to walk through the door if the Suns go that three point guard route, which I don't think they're gonna anymore. I think they're doing the right thing there of having those two guys. And yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Ish Smith: it's gonna do one of two things. He's gonna go out there and let's say he plays great in summer league. Who cares? It's summer league, but. If he goes into the season and he shows in a small, you know, micro sample size that he's this really amazing NBA point guard, well, then all of a sudden you have him as another asset on your bench or you make it to where a guy like Goran or Eric, if they're not re-signable and you're not going to be able to keep them long term, then all of a sudden they can become a flippable asset. And if he goes out there and, you know, stinks up the joint or isn't as good right away that you don't need him to be. You're not drafting him to start, as you had mentioned there before. You can give him some time to get ready, to develop, to pace himself. And as long as he doesn't come in with that aura and smell and arrogance that Kendall came in with, which I think was his biggest weakness and biggest flaw as an NBA player, then the Suns will take the time to develop him and work with him and make him that player that they hope he's going to be after drafting him where they drafted him. Exactly. I totally agree. Perfect. So, and let's switch over to the, the, you can't talk about the Suns Summer League without talking about the coachings because Hornacek coaches him last year, which I thought was unique and awesome and cool and all these different fun words because he, you know, he's the head coach and it gave him a chance to kind of bond with the team. And I think that that kind of leveraged and, and parlayed itself into training camp and then into the season and, you know, the rest is all history. Now they have uh, Mike Longabardi who's going to be coaching them. And if I butchered your name, I'm sorry because I do that. But I think that that's another. No, you got it right. Oh, there we go. I can do these things. Um, so I think that's an awesome take of having him on there as the as a the head coach for the summer league because he's been a name that's been flirted with a little bit as being a, a future head coach in the NBA. He's got a good reputation. He's done some good things with this team in terms of development and leadership and the way he coaches. I think that's awesome that he gets a chance to kind of show off his head coaching skills a little bit. Granted, it's in a summer league setting. What did you think when they announced him as the head coach? I'd, it would have been cool if him or Mark West. I was I was just trying to wait and see who they were going to announce. Uh, no, I think uh, definitely Longobardi was a great coach. I actually thought maybe even Feasting might um, be running the team this summer too. But uh, definitely Longobardi is a guy who um, has earned his way onto the NBA bench and now onto uh, you know being possibly head coach material at some point. He's another guy like a Frank Vogel. I don't know how many people know much about um, outside Phoenix uh, NBA, but Frank Vogel was never really a player either. He came up right from the the video analysis, and then he came to a bench, and they took over a team. Um, the dude is just a, just a regular guy who's really smart about scheming and knows where players need to be and how to make them succeed. And Frank Vogel has, has done very well in Indiana. Uh, and uh, Longobardi is the same kind of guy. Um, he's only about half the size of Frank Vogel, but that's, that's another story. Um, but uh, definitely Longobardi is a great schemer and and a guy to have on the bench to figure out how your guys can be their guys. The fact that he figured out how to make the Suns a top 15 defense last year in their very first year together with the most inexperienced roster in the entire league. I mean, the Suns weren't the youngest guys because they had some older rookies. They had uh, in second-year players like Miles Plumlee was 25 and, and uh, Ish Smith and, and Deontay Christmas and all those guys. Those were mid-20s guys, and so they raised the average age of the Suns. But the Suns were the most inexperienced team in the league. And here's Longobardi making these guys a top half of the league defense. I thought that was incredible, and that's why the Suns were able to win 48 games because you don't win 48 games. Uh, just on offense and then letting up, letting too many points on the other end. Uh, there's there's plenty of teams who lost a lot of games that way. So I think I'm very happy for him, and I hope the Suns can keep him for longer than this coming year. Uh, but I am worried the Suns are going to lose him to a head coaching job pretty soon. Yeah, that that can potentially happen, and, and that's why it's it's a good thing as well. Though I mean, whenever your head coach can branch off head coaches, that's never a bad thing. It's never a, a negative sign there. Um, so let's go ahead and, and kind of close this one out here and, you know, let the folks get off the treadmill here for a minute or get back to work either way. Um, 
one thing I definitely want to talk about real quick is um, PJ Tucker. Where are you at with him on the scale of he was a likable Phoenix son. He did some great things here. There's nothing bad to say about him. So go get paid, young fella. Are are you are you there with PJ Tucker, or do you think that he? Are you of the opinion he kind of owes the Phoenix Suns a little bit, and he should you know come back here regardless of what the numbers are somewhere else? Oh, I don't know. I think PJ really wants to remain a Phoenix Sun. If you listen to his radio interview with uh, KTAR in April, maybe it was May. I think it was. But anyway, it was um, no, it was even June, right before the draft, where he was talking about possibly getting an offer from Memphis um, because he had heard that there was some interest there. The whole time, though, all he was talking about was basically that um, he's hoping somebody makes an offer so the Suns have something to match. Uh, he wants to come back here. He just tweeted about uh, buying some new shoes. The guy has hundreds and hundreds of shoes. He bought some new shoes, but he's saving the purple ones for the season. So uh, definitely the dude's coming back. He's just He just wants somebody to make him an offer that he can sign and the Suns can match. Um, or, you know, the Suns just make an offer after you hear some numbers from other teams, which is probably end up actually going to be what happens is the Suns will sign Tucker to a contract, a reasonable contract, outright and it'll be based on numbers that um tucker's camp has heard um that other teams are willing to offer him but he's not going to get a straight out offer um of something in the six eight million range although you're hearing all these numbers being flying around the past week i think tucker's in the more four to five million range um for two or three years and i think everybody would be happy if he signs for that I, I think that you're underestimating the impact of P.J. Tucker. I think that he's one of those guys when you hear radio people and uh, NBA reporters talking about the contingency plans for LeBron James. That once LeBron James falls off the table, guys like Lou Aldang, Trevor Reza, and I think they keep forgetting to say P.J. Tucker's name, are going to slide right in there and go get their paychecks from another team that are willing to kind of band-aid their issue for not getting LeBron. So, you know, go get that money, P.J. Right, but the, problem, <laughs> but the difference, no, I totally get that, and you may have been a little facetious, but I think people do have a lot of respect for P.J. Tucker's game, um, but the problem is that he's a restricted free agent. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to sign Lou Aldang and Trevor Ariza because they're not restricted. Uh, P.J., you've got to actually do an offer sheet and hope the Suns don't sign, uh, don't match it. Why would you, and do, would you really risk $8 million a year or so just to make sure the Suns don't match the P.J. Tucker offer sheet? But then you're stuck paying P.J. Tucker $8 million a year. Exactly. And he's great, but he's not that great. Yeah, no, 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 and you're right. I was being a little facetious there with that. Is you know, I, I, I just I like it when people are all during the season they love a guy, and then when it comes to free agents, they're like, oh no, no, take less money and come back, and you and you have to stay here. You owe us this or you owe us that. We were we rejuvenated your career and blah blah blah. But it's look, guys, it, it, would you take a pay cut at work? Uh, come on, you know we're we're not all under contracts every four to five years at our jobs. You know the real world jobs like these basketball players are, where they have to make decisions every couple of years like that. But if we were, I'm pretty sure that we're not taking a pay cut and looking at it and going, well, I mean, you guys did help me launch my ability to make this sales tactic a little bit better, and I got better, and now I'm actually on the forefront. So I'll take you know uh, fifty grand from you, even though sixty five is being offered from a this very similar company. Right. I'll, I'll I'll take fifty from you. Exactly. It's going to be more like that movie Horrible Bosses where uh, yeah. uh, you, did you see that movie yeah, where yeah. Um, uh, Kevin Spacey uh, was supposed to you know, fill his vice president position, but he ended up taking it himself at only 85% of the extra salary of what he would have paid somebody else. So he gave a, 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 a price savings to his company, but he's making almost double what he used to. I mean, that's that's what that's what players should be going for, and that's what they are going for. You can't hold it against them for wanting the most money while they're in their short NBA careers. It's not a lifetime. This is four years. This is two years. This is eight years of their life. The rest of their life, they're going to be doing stuff that we do. They're going to be selling shoes. They're going to be selling, you know, others. You know, they're going to be opening restaurants, and that you're not going to get rich that way. They've got to get their riches now. So I don't I don't hold anything against them for getting as most money possible. I will be dining at PJ's when it opens up across the street from Marley's here in about 10 years when PJ's retired and done and well, comfortable and ready to, to open up his restaurant. Well, Amari Stoudemire's is still an empty uh, shell. Um, that was open right across the street from the arena when Amari was here, and it's been closed ever since he left, and it's still empty. So PJ can open up a restaurant right there. Boom, there you go. And I mean, he's already got a name that kind of clicks, and, and he can have some fun with that. All right, Dave, let's let's go ahead and let, like I said, let's let these people get off the treadmill or let them get back to work here. Last thoughts for the Brightsiders. I usually throw this over to Jim, and he gives us something 
um, he gives us something. So, so what do you got, Dave? <laughs> well, let's see if I can top or at least uh, compete with what Jim would usually give. Um, here's here's my take. If the Suns land LeBron, I think that's awesome. It's completely got to be unexpected. I know. I think the Suns have the best to offer him, but I don't think he's interested in that right now. I think he's interested in either Cleveland or Miami. Um, I think what we're going to see is Carmelo going back to New York because he's going to get $129 million from New York. And as Charles Barkley said, as he said on the radio last week, you don't turn down $35 million. And so that's what that's what Carmelo Anthony's going to do. He's going to take that extra $35 million he can get from New York and nobody else. And he's going to run with that, and he's going to make it sound like it was a very smart decision because he took the money, and you always take the money. And LeBron's going to get his max money because he he deserves the money. He deserves three times what the max offers. So definitely LeBron's going to get the max somewhere too. For Charles Barkley's analysis there, I'm going to go hashtag analysis. Um, that, that's, that man gets paid to say those things out loud on TV and on the radio. All right, no, guys. He, actually, <laughs> he actually said, if you give me a choice of a championship of $35 million, I'm going to take the $35 million. That's exactly what he said. You know what? In a vacuum, I'm taking $35 million, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and actually, it may not have to be in a vacuum. It may just be in general, I'm taking $35 million. PJ, go get your $35 million. Um, so... Uh, that that that'll that'll wrap us up here, episode fifty eight. If you're a fan of uh, podcasts in general, Brightside After Dark, make sure you check that one out there. And R.I.P. to Jim's phone. From what I understand, it didn't just die on him; it died in general. But we still soldiered on professionalism, Dave. And uh, we'll be back next week with more podcast. All right, good night, guys. <laughs>